Jeff Fennick, welcome to Wolfden. Yeah, great being here. Yeah, thank you very much for coming in. So we're a punting-centric show and when I was thinking about talking to you, I thought one of the biggest punts in life is being a boxer but also being a boxing promoter and you've um, you've done both of those. Have you done much boxing promoting? Yeah, I've promoted for a long time. Um, tough work Yeah, and it's really hard and um, you got so much to do. It's, yeah. uh, you know, fighters pulling out and... You know, um, the day of the fight and those kind of things are really, really difficult. I feel sorry for anybody who's in uh, that uh, part of the game. But um, like I said, um, yeah, we need promoters. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we just need to, to be able to work together. And um, look, there are a lot of good promoters in the country at the moment. And um, I was pretty blessed to have maybe one of the greatest in Bill Morty when I was fighting. So, um, yeah, pretty blessed. And when you were doing your own promotions, you have to put up a huge amount of capital, right? Like some of the biggest things that you promoted, not your own fights, but other fights – are we talking like million dollars that you've got to put up? You know, you've got to get venues, you've got to get all kinds of things. It's, it, it's basically a million dollar bet. Would yeah. that be fair to say? Oh, yeah, well, I was definitely lucky. I didn't have to, didn't have shows that, that were costing me that much, but definitely, you know, two hundred fifty thousand stuff. You had to have that kind of money, and yeah, you had to make sure that you know everything was um, in order and ready to pay the, the fighters straight after the fight. And uh, I think the the important part for me was uh, making sure that um, you know the the bums on seats and the sponsorship was going to cover everything and. Obviously, me being blessed, um, I've always had um, some great friendships. One with Luzovanovic from Cabe and, and my friends from um, Outright. And uh, all the, the guys who sponsor me, AWI Hire, they've, um, AWI Steel, sorry, um, they've always been there and made sure that um, prior to any promotion that I've got everything I need um, in the bank. So it's been, you know, I've been blessed, obviously. Um, my name carries yeah. a lot of weight and carries a lot of, um, you know, credibility. So, um, yeah, so these guys always were... Um, willing to help me and, you know, man, put the money up so to make sure that we never had a problem. But um, we always um, had enough um, bums on seats and everything else to, to cover what we needed to cover. And so you still got Team Fennec in full effect? So you, you're still training and mentoring fighters? Yeah, I don't know about full effect. I'm trying to – for me it would be amazing. Um, I've got only a couple of boxes left. I've got a young boy in it by the name of Hass Hamden who's a really special boy. His father was Nader, Nader Hamden. Yeah. And, um, you know, I want to try to do the best I can with him. I, mm-hmm. um, I think it's public knowledge now that I am – my little fighter who I really got back into boxing because of Brock Jarvis and I have split recently mm-hmm. um, on good terms. Hopefully he'll go and, um, you know, pursue his career and, and go to the heights that I always thought he'd uh, be able to uh, achieve. But um, it's a tough sport out there. But like I said, um, um, for me, when Hass is done, um, uh, you won't see me um, yeah? not so that's, promoting that's... or training anymore. I, yeah, my shoulders are gone and, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd like just to be able to sit down and do my commentary that I do, which I love doing for Fox Sports. I, I love it. I love doing that the work that I do for Fox with Steve Crawley and the team there. But um, once um, Hass is done, I will never train anybody again. Yeah. And you're really excited about Tim Zoo. He's obviously yeah. our best prospect. Yeah, Tim's an amazing prospect. Look, he's got to realise we've just had Jason Maloney win a world title. Yeah. His brother Andrew fights in a week. We've got boxing at the moment, I think he's – most played at an all-time high. I think yeah, we've got so many um, kids with amazing creden- uh, credentials and, and, and ability that can go all the way. In this day and age, look, there, there isn't just one belt. There's like four or five different belts. So, you know, um, uh, Jason won the WBO, so that's one of you know, four, four belts out there. But, I mean, he can really fight. And I just think that Australian boxing at the moment is at an all-time high, I think. Wow. Even better than when Jeff Fennick and Lester Ellison was around. We've got a lot, of, a lot of very special young boys at the moment. Yeah, and there's a huge fight this weekend. Devin Haney and um, Lomachenko. Obviously, Devin Haney beat up Ferocious Cambosis. What What do you think will happen in that fight? Yeah, I think Devin Haney's going to be far too good. Yeah. He's much bigger than Lomachenko. Um, younger, much more athletic. I mean, look, Lomachenko, uh, 
you know, because of his amateur career, people have given him the the accolades as being one of the greatest fighters in the history of the sport just because he lost one amateur fight out of 300. So um, mm. I don't rate fighters on their amateur careers or I don't rate fighters on how they dance and all these different things that I rate them as I see them fight. And no, de- no doubt that he can fight, but um, I don't think he has the... Uh, the skill level of, of Devin Haney. So is there a huge rising grade from the amateurs to the professionals? Oh, definitely so. Um, yeah, it's it's chalk and cheese. Yeah. Um, you know, you, there's been you know, lots and lots of great amateurs who haven't gone on to be great professionals. But in America, you've got to realise um, in the 84 Olympics um, that I was at, um, there was me, Evander Holyfield, Mark Breland, Meldrick Taylor, Pernell Whitaker, Steve McCrory with some great, Amateurs that went on to be great professionals, and, yeah. um, and back in those days, the professionals were in in America were um, just being prepared to be great professionals. The amateurs were get being prepared to be great professionals. So, um, uh, it's changed a lot today because amateur mm. boxing isn't like serving an apprentice. Uh, your apprenticeship to be a professional, it's, it's completely different. It's yeah. touch and not get hit, and it, yeah, yeah. you you're definitely not learning to be a professional today if you're an amateur fighter. Yeah. Who, in your opinion, is the best pound-for-pound pound boxer in the world at the moment? At the moment, oh, well, I think Bud Crawford and and yep. and, and the, the monster from Japan, the little um, bantamweight, super bantamweight. I think um, for the last seven or eight years, I've thought he's going to be the best fighter in the world, and he's just about that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when he won his first world title. I was training the Mexican he won it from, yeah. and when I watched him, I watched him in an amateur fight, and I told the people who were looking after the Mexican that I was training. If we're not at our total total best, this kid's going to demoralise us, and he did. Mm. He, he knocked us out and went on to be the three-time world champion. This kid's got more potential than anybody I've seen. Mm. Right, that's interesting. And the whole way along over the last couple of decades, UFC has risen and it's got huge traction now. What's what's your opinion of UFC? Do you enjoy it? Do you like it? I like some of it. Yep. You know, I don't like it when you see those guys just – lay on the floor and do nothing. It's yeah. kind of boring. And then again, I don't like when I see one of these guys get hit and when they, as they're knocked out, being able to get four or five times more, especially with you know, thinking about caring for your fighters. And the other thing that I kind of always have had a little nitty pick about was um, when I was a kid, if somebody kicked you at school, you were a girl. Oh, you mm. kick, you're a girl. <laughs> they don't kick you, girl, you know. Now, <laughs> you know, it's it's all a part of this amazing sport because it is yeah. an amazing sport. And I, like I said, um, as much as I, I'd never participated in it, I still appreciate the skill level you must have to be able to do all the, those different techniques that they use. So, yeah. look, I've got to take my hat off to Dana White, who I know is a great friend of mine. But, yeah, I think the sport's just getting better and better and better. UFC is, yeah. Yeah, definitely so. Do you think it's good for boxing, UFC? Do you think it, it shines a light on boxing as well? Uh, not really. Um, obviously, they've got to learn the box. And when I watch those guys and a lot of the guys in the UFC, you know, if, if they box better, I think they could be better. And I... You know, mm. like a lot of those guys in the UFC can't take a punch like fighters could. That's my opinion. But like I said, um, they're getting better and better. And, um, yeah, I think um, it's taken over. Yeah. I mean, look at the numbers and um, all you can you can really judge things on is popularity. And um, yeah, it's the most popular. popular sport in the world at the moment. Like, unless you have a you know Mike Tyson doing something or a Floyd Mayweather doing something, you know, very hard to break their numbers. But, um, you know, the UFC today is um, an amazing, um, amazing sport uh, at an amazing place. Yeah. And what about influencer boxing, like the Paul brothers and that kind of thing? Um, Bit look, of fun, I guess. I look at life this way. If um, back in the day, if I couldn't make money, if I made money doing something else, I went out, you know, yeah. stole something, or done something, or done something, you know, that was how I made money. If these guys don't even have to do that, and they can go and use their name and use 
you know, their platform that I have to make money. Good luck to them. Yeah. Like I said, um, you know, do I do I like it? Um, do I feel sorry for some of the guys who have fought all their lives and made nothing? Of course, yeah. we talk about that. But listen, um, good luck to these guys who have learned yeah. to make money yeah. without doing it. So I, I yeah. take my hat off to them and I'm not one bit envious. I think, yeah, good luck to them. Go out and, and do what you got to do. But um, yeah, I'm, like I said, um, a lot of them, if they fought guys who could really fight, they'd be in trouble. But like I said, they don't have to. They're still making millions of dollars. Good luck to them. That's all mm. I can say. Take my hat off to you. Yeah. Um, talking about going way back when you started boxing, so I was listening to another podcast and in it you said that when you were a teenager, you'd spend Friday and Saturday nights going around fighting other gangs with your mates um, and then Johnny Lewis came into your life and turned things around for you. Can you tell us how old you were when that happened and how Johnny Lewis found you and where he took you and, and how you started training and stuff? Yeah, from from the age of around 12, 13, I used to, used to go to the speedway and, and to the dogs and trots every, and just, um, um, yeah, just do the best we could. But um, most nights when any of it would finish, we'd... We'd wait at uh, the hills of the the parks for other groups of guys to come past. Well, not to fight, but we kind of wanted to, to bash them up. You know, we yeah, we we'd yeah. fight, but yeah. And then um, I'll never forget when I was yeah a young boy. My my brother and I were out in the city, and um, there was a huge fight, and um, a couple of boys got really badly hurt, and um, the police all got involved and. My brother and I both um, had to go through court and I was um, put in a boy's home in, in Ormond, Thorn Lee. My brother was so taken away from your parents? Yeah, yeah. My, wow. my brother was um, in Mount Penang so my poor parents had to, you know, the visiting day was Sunday so my mum had to come to mine and then had to drive all the way to Mount, Mount Penang to Gosford to see my brother which, you know, I, I made it, well, we both made it really, really difficult for my parents. But like I said, that was the first time we'd ever got in trouble. And, but, but because um, street violence at the time was so bad, yeah. they wanted to make an example of or just try to stop it. And so, how old were you, sorry? Uh, 12, 13, oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah. So how long were you in the boys' home for? And my, I got um, my first sentence was um, six months. Yeah. So I, was, I had to do six months. And, and uh, my, my, my parents and my lawyer appealed because I'd never been in trouble before. Yeah. And um, so after the appeal, I end up getting my sentence changed from six months to three and a half months to three years. So if I behaved, I could get out. And, the, and I was, was at um, on Parramatta Road um, at, at the boys' home there. Then I got committed to, um, like I said, to um, Ormond and Thorn Lee. And um, I did like uh, maybe three months. And because I behaved and you know, I was playing good at sport there and stuff. I, I was home in three months and like I said, the, I regret it because I, I put my parents through hell. Yeah. My dad, yeah, who, who was sick all his life, you know, yeah. Yeah, I can never really forgive myself for, for, for doing that to my parents. But back then you, you used to think, ah, oh, I'm a big tough kid. You didn't, you didn't really think about the consequence or you thought, you're only thinking about yourself. You didn't, I didn't realise what I put my parents through and my, you know, my brothers and sisters and, and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah. But it's all happened and it made me a better person. I, you know, would I change things? Of course, I'd change lots of things, but um, I can't change them. So I just got to live with them and speak about them and make sure that I, you know, tell people about my experiences to make sure that they, they learn from my experiences and become better people from it. Yeah. Know? And so, how old were you when you first met Johnny Lewis? Um, well, it was crazy. I met um, Johnny when I was seventeen. I was um, again, I went to the Newdown Police Citizens Youth Club mm-hmm. with a couple of our friends because we were looking for a couple of guys who. We wanted to beat up and um, we went to the weights room, not there, went th- into the downstairs where they played 
basketball and stuff, not there. Went to the judo room, not there. Went to one more room. He wasn't there. And then the last room was a boxing room. And um, I'll never forget it. Um, the door had a little, just a little glass where you could see in there. So we're looking to see if these people were in there. And they weren't there. So I thought, well, let's get out of here. So um, I said to my friends, I'm going to just stay. I want to watch these guys box because there was a, a kid that I could see in there. Who went to school with me and played football with me and I went to watch him box. Did you love boxing? Like were you a boxing no, fan? I never, then? never boxed no. in my life. Yeah. Didn't yeah. know the first thing about no. it. But I just wanted to watch because my friend, he, whose name was Mark Cribb, who played for De La Salle in my football team and also was a boxer and went to my school and my boys' high school, was the state champion, Australian champion. So I just thought I'd sit there and watch him, you know. As I'm sitting there watching him, I heard Johnny Lewis standing up talk, or I didn't know who Johnny Lewis was at the time, but I heard mm. this man saying, Hey Mark, it'd be great. We got this fight at the Sheraton or something next week. They were fighting for these titles. It would be great if you had some boxing. You know? So I just heard him. I said, I'll box him, you know, because I thought I could kill him, you know? you know. Anyway, next day I turn up, sitting out the front waiting for Johnny all excited and, you know, go upstairs and put these boxing gloves and stuff on, put this mouth guard that I made on and um, I get in the ring. Um, uh, wow, it was there. Nothing that I thought it was. I, I was winded and... I was, I, yeah, I got beat up. But um, yeah. well, I, no, I'll never forget that as I was getting beat up, well, and I still tried my best because I didn't want to show that I was getting beat up because I kept trying. I got out of the ring and Johnny Lewis said to me, are you sure that's the first time you've boxed? I said, yeah, why? He goes, um, oh, that was really, really good. And in my mind yeah. I'm thinking, this guy must think I'm stupid. He wants me to get bashed up again. He said to me, you got to come back tomorrow. You could you could be all right. So as a couple of my friends, oh, yeah, I'll come back tomorrow. But in my head I said, I'm not. No way I'm going back yeah. there to get beat up again, yeah. yeah. But the next day I went back there and, um, you know, within three months I was a state champion and wow. Australian champion and all these kind of things. And I'll never forget because I've got letters from Johnny, but um, Johnny would always say to me after a few weeks because I wanted to fight really quickly, he said, look, you need time to fight, you know, you're not ready. And then he let me fight and I won my first amateur fight. And, you know, um, it was this crazy thing that happened to me that Johnny – and it's. So similar to, to the Mike Tyson customer story because I've mm. sat with Mike and he's told me his story that how Cus would say to him, you know, even when he was like seven or eight, he said, if you listen to me, you've done the right thing. You could go out there and maybe knock Larry Holmes out. And Mike is thinking, are you crazy? Well, Johnny mm. would say similar things to me. He said, Jeff, you know what? If you keep doing this and train the way you're doing, you, know, three months, you could be the state champion. you you got mm. enough, you know, and you could be Australian champion if you do this properly. He was like putting these little things in my mind, just, you know, these, setting these little goals. I'm thinking... I've never boxed in my life. You know, mm. I, I play rugby league. That's all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to be a rugby league player. I was still at that time playing jersey flag and playing for my for my club team and stuff Which like that. Which club so was that? Which where I, did you? I, well, I, I, we had a. I played for, for, for at that at that year. I was playing for a, a club called the Warriors. Yeah. Uh, Ralph Speechley, Michael Speechley, all those guys. We had our own club. We like we yeah. we well as a rugby league player at under twelves. We won the premiership for DLSL. Then in 13s and 14s was the Gladstone Colts. 15 and 16, we won again. Mm. And then we become the Warriors. And we were undefeated for like seven years. We had a very, very good Because when you side. mentioned Jersey Flag, that's sort of a feeder comp to the, yeah, to, the NRL. Yeah, NRL, yeah. So yeah. I played Matthew Shield when I was 14. I played SG Ball when I was 15 and 16. For I an played, NRL club? Yeah, or was yeah, 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 yeah. For Newtown. I played for Newtown. Newtown, Newtown, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then yeah. I played SG Ball when and I was And this is when Newtown was in the proper comp. Yeah, and too. Then I, yeah of course. Then I yeah. played SG Ball when I was uh, at Jersey Flag when I was 7 and 18. So I represented. So, but I was. 46 kilos, 47 kilos. So all, all my friends when they were 18 and 19 were getting graded and um, I was a rag doll. What position but were you playing? I played hooker. Yeah. And then, um, But I always still wanted to be a rugby league player. And then, I, like I said, um, I went up and I still mixed rugby league with boxing and then all of a sudden um, I started getting picked to, to go to the 
um, these tournaments around the world. And like I said, my my um, you know, the, 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 my greatest trip overseas was from um, Circle Key to Manly by boat. That was that was overseas for me. That's how what I thought overseas was. Yeah. And then uh, all of a sudden, um, I start making these representative teams. I, I won the Australian title. Then I won the Oceania the Oceania title in um, Taiwan. And then I went to uh, Indo- Indonesia and fought in the, in the uh, Presidents Cup. I went to Bangkok and fought in the uh, in the Kings Cup. And I went to the um, to Rome and fought in the World Cup. And I came third in the world after like fourteen amateur fights. You know. Yeah. And all of a sudden, um, they were talking about that was in '83, and they were talking about the Olympics in '84. And had you decided in your head, and had Johnny decided that you wanted to become a world champion? Was that, or was that still not even? Um, I don't know about world champion back then because I, I was an amateur, but I I wanted to go to the Olympics. And yeah. um, after I came third in the world, you know, and fighting guys who had hundreds and hundreds of fights in my 15th amateur fight, I thought to myself, "Wow, I could." What Johnny's telling me is right. I, mm. I'm, I'm competing against guys that have done this all their lives. I've been doing it now for like six months. Mm. And then all of a sudden um, I kept winning and improving and the 84 Olympic team was read out and there was only like four of us going out of out of all the divisions and I was chosen as one and um, as the Olympic team captain as well, which yeah. – to be captain of the team after 24 The whole fights. team or the boxing the, team? No, the Olympic boxing team, yeah. yeah boxing yeah. team, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was crazy that um, I'd go into the Olympics like in my 24th amateur fight. Like, yeah, and it was an amazing Olympics in Los Angeles. Yeah, it was crazy. Carl Lewis dominated. It was – Yeah, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, it was – I don't know. It, it was like – I don't know if it, I can't say it was a dream come true because I never dreamt of being a boxer. I dreamt of mm. being a rugby league player. Mm. So um, it wasn't a dream come true but it was – it was something that was just too good to believe. And then mm. all of a sudden I come back after I get my fights at the Olympics. I won my first fight, won my second fight. I won my third fight and then it gets overturned by the international jury, which was the first time they were ever at the Olympics. And then I come home thinking, wow, you know, um, all these guys are getting ready to turn pro. I, I wanted to stay amateur because I thought that give me another couple of years mm-hmm. and I'll beat all these guys. I just came mm. third in the world. Or I, or I really was going to come third. I was already guaranteed a bronze medal and what I was thinking was, um, you know, the guy who I fought and who I beaten him, he got a silver medal. I'm thinking, well, these guys are all going to be great professionals. So I said to Johnny, I'd, I'd love to to stay amateur to be the first person ever to try to win a gold medal for the, Australia. Right, so you got 88 Seoul. Yeah, so yeah. I asked the establishment, which was Arthur Tunstall and the, and the people there, if I tell you guys I want to stay and want to try to win a gold medal in, in Seoul, can you guarantee me that Johnny Lewis will be the trainer? I want Johnny to be in my corner because he, he wasn't allowed to be in my corner in yeah. in LA. They said, no, we can't guarantee that. So I said, well, I'm turning pro. So I turned pro and um, it was just, I don't know, everything just was putting fast forward. After my fifth fight, um, I, I met a man by the name of Colin Love who was um, whose brother worked with Johnny Lewis as a sign writer for the council and he told us that his brother Colin was – big time solicitor and stuff who could help me with my contracts and do some things if we needed help so I went and visited Colin and um, in my fifth fight I was fighting in, in um, Wollongong against a guy named Wayne Mulholland who was a, a really accomplished Australian fighter, won Australian titles and had lots of fights and um, Colin Love told me that he was going to bring a man by the name of Bill Morty down to see me fight and you know he might be able to do something with me, he's a big guy in the media, mm. he you know Guy who loves the game. Was he promoting boxing? No, no, no. no. Yeah. And um, 
these guys, I never forget, I got to the fight and these people arrived in this Mercedes and I seen this man walking out and they introduced themselves and he was Bill Morty and there's a few other people with him and um, they came watching me fight and um, I knocked out Wayne Mulholland in the fifth round and from that fight, um, I'll never forget, Bill said, I'm going to do some stuff and promote you and um, in my sixth fight, he brought a guy from the Philippines over called Rolly Navarro and put a big fight on at the Horton Pavilion. Yeah, yeah, a lot the Horton was packed. Yeah, he had a lot of special people. He had this um, VIP row where he had all these special people like George Freeman and the boys were there. Yeah, uh, yeah and um, uh, it was really crazy. So I had that fight and then um, we were talking and um, that was my sixth professional fight. Not for a world title though, right? No, it was just a fight against yeah. the Filipino. But um, and how many people were in the horde on that night? Was it full house, like five thousand. Yeah, I, yeah, it was. It yeah, was so a you, fight, had, yeah. you had an audience by then. You yeah, had yeah, fan base. It was drawing an audience, obviously. And then um, Bill Moore again, being such a, a great promoter and somebody who had me in the paper every day, doing mm. things for charity and doing some great things. Bill, Bill, certainly knew how to promote and how to sell a fight. He was amazing at that. And then um, out of the blue, um, some Japanese guy who was world champion. Um, I don't know how Bill Morty got in contact with them, but they offered me the fight. And mm. um, obviously thinking, oh, this guy's had – it's going to be my seventh fight. It's going to be an easy fight for them. I've got to fight in Liverpool 15 rounds. The fight was going to mm. go 15 rounds. So they took this crazy um, gamble to fight this little guy from Australia. I was supposed to fight Jerome Coffey, but of course the, in boxing politics and money mm. speaks all different languages. Bill Morty got the fight here in Australia and um, – in my seventh professional fight. And, and 15 rounds because the longest – they only go 12 rounds these days. Yeah, 12 rounds. So, and I, and I'd I mean, never, 12 rounds is unfathomable. But. Yeah, and I'd never gone past five rounds in anyway because I knocked yeah. everybody yeah. out. And um, and to put it into context, sorry to stop you, but you see these rugby league players now go and box and they're, you know, very fit athletes. They get in the ring and they're gone after two, two three-minute rounds, they're gone. Yeah. And you were doing 15 rounds. Yeah, so anyway, so I got the opportunity to – in my seventh professional fight – in 196 days from amateur professional to fight for the world title. And mm. um, of course I said yes. Of course I believed in myself. Of course you know, Johnny believed in me. Johnny, Johnny always thought that I was I was gifted um, mm. with a special ability to fight. And um, the other thing was that even while all this was happening, while all these people were saying, hey, can't do it, um, I was sparring guys who were you know, much better than me, much bigger than me and – you know, doing 10, 15 rounds in the gym every day and getting prepared, you know, for the biggest fight of my life. And we, we, again, where nobody thought – a lot of people thought it was impossible. How's this guy who's never fought 10 rounds before? How's he going to fight 15 rounds? How's he going to – you know? But um, like I said, um, I was always super, super confident. Mm. Not overconfident, but I just believed in, in, in my preparation and I always knew that prior to this, I'd boxed 15 rounds on many, many occasions against four or five different sparring partners. So they're all – all fresh coming in. So I knew I could do it now where other people say, no, he's not going to be able to do it. I was very, very confident. Yeah, yeah. And then you obviously went on and, and did do it. Yeah, I went on to um, to, to stop Shingaki in the ninth round and then there was huge protest and uh, a rematch and I ended up then um, cutting his eye really badly and stopping him in the third round in the, in the rematch. And um, every fight, I just got better and better because, yeah. like I said, just think it was my seventh fight. It was my, you know, 30-something fight overall in my whole career with amateur fights. So um, I just got every fight from that day, I got better and better and better. And I, mm. I, if you look at some of the fighters I fought, like Daniel Zaragoza in my, I don't know what, what fight it was, but before my 20th fight, he's in the Hall of Fame. He had like 60-odd fights. I fought Carlos Serrati for my second world, uh, for a defence of my second world title. And um, he had like 69 fights, 66 wins, uh, 64 knockouts, you know. 
And um, what I've done, honestly, when I, I want to say, but it's it's unheard of in the sport of boxing. Yeah, yeah it's unheard of. And so you, you went on to become very famous, maybe the most form, famous sports star in Australia at the time, um, famous on a global scale as well. And I've heard you say that you weren't particularly proud of who you became at that time. Yeah, and when I when I look back and think of the lives and times and where we are today, I've got two daughters, a son, and um, I think, uh, yeah, would I like my son or my daughters to to not, not that I treat anybody bad, but to you know, I had had this red carpet rolled out for me that you know, um, I'd go to bars and clubs and stuff, didn't have to pay for drinks. If I seen a female. Say hello, come home. If they had a boyfriend, I, you know, yeah. all those kind of things that, that I really am. Um, back then, all my friends were proud of me. I was like, ah, oh, great, Jeff, you're yeah. listening. But when I think about it better today, I'm, I'm not the proudest person. But uh, again, um, would I like to change things? Of course, I'd, li- I'd love to, but you can't. So you just got to, um, again, just um, use these life lessons to, to help other people's lives be better. And, you know, so that's that's what I try to be today. That's my, my, um, my objective and my goals of today is to. To let people know that I made mistakes and I'll openly, you know, put my hand up to making the mistakes and then, you know, yeah, I've, you know, I've copped criticism before, you know. Yeah. I went from being this guy that was loved uh, to, to making a couple of mistakes and, and, you know, people hate you and then you've got to rebuild and I've, I've done that. So I've been knocked down and I've rebuilt again. But like I said, um, none of that really bothers me because like I said, I know who I am. I can always look in the mirror. I always tell people the ultimate judge is in the mirror. If you can look in the mirror and, and you know and, and be proud of what you see, because the mirror will never lie. You can't lie to yourself. You can lie to other people, but you can't lie to yourself. So I'm pretty much yeah, knowing that um, when I was three-time world champion, um, I got a little bit carried away. And yeah, as people know, I just recently received my fourth world title, 31 years after I was supposed to. And wow, how lucky am I that that happened to me 31 years later? Because if I had it then. I would have been worse than yeah. I, than I was, you know. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been married today. I wouldn't have had those children. I, well, I may have had children, but to who I don't know. Mm. You know, I am. Um, that happened to me at that time for a reason. My, my draw with Azuma Nelson, my loss to Azuma Nelson, were maybe the two greatest things that happened to me in my life, without any doubt. Um, the draw, yeah, put me in a in a great position to, to just to, to know about life, but the loss. Let me know that um, yeah, I'm no bigger or no better than anybody else. And um, all those guys who are beating the drum for you, that stopped beating them, that, uh, you know, um, yeah, it taught me that um, who my real friends were, who I was, what um, being a, a champion represents or the, what you really represent in life. Because <clears throat> to be honest, it, it's all bullshit, am you know? Mm. I mean, if I if I um, can say one thing, my belt's... Yeah, they're great. They're on a mantelpiece at home, and uh, but they mean nothing to me. Mm. What means the most to me is um, the love and respect that I get from the other fighters around the world when I get off the plane. Like I was able to train Mike Tyson. Why? Because he respected me. Evander Holyfield, Lennox Lewis, all the fighters around the world when we when we travel, the the respect they have for me mm. that means I made it in the sport. The belts mm. mean nothing to me. The mm. belts, the money, the fact that 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 all means nothing. But um, when you get when your when your peers respect you. And they give you love and acknowledgement, like Roberto Duran. When I'm with him, the acknowledgement and the, re- and the respect that he gives me, then he knows that, that, that I was especially in my sport. Mm. Like I said, those belts, anybody can get a belt. You know, you can you can pay for a ranking, you can get a belt, but to get respect from your peers um, is the ultimate. Mm, I agree with that. So your relationship with Mike Tyson is well documented. And when I grew up as a kid, he was the most famous sports star in the world. 
he was known as the baddest man on the planet. He still is one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. He was known as the baddest man on the planet and he was also considered a savage, like an unhinged savage. Mm -hmm. But what we've actually found out in, in recent years is that he's highly intelligent, highly emotionally aware person. My question to you is, when did you first meet him and did you know long before everybody else that he was actually a complex, highly intelligent person? Yeah, I definitely say. Well, I met him. I got an award in um, Vegas. Um, I got the runner-up boxer in the world, second to Ray Leonard in 86 or 87, one of those years. And um, he was a guest that was arriving but obviously arrived late. Mm. And I'm there standing just about to go up to Dias to get this award and he sees me and says, Jeff Fennick, oh, you're you know, my favourite. And gave me the wow. most amazing accolade. I watched you, you're, you know, this and that. So, yeah. And um, it was that was all that day. I said hello to him and that kind of stuff after I got my award and made me feel um, on top of the world again. One of your peers, you know, recognising this little kid from Australia where nobody else really did because um, he loved his boxing. He was a historian in, in the sport, you know, watched everybody. And then... As I travelled and went back overseas a couple of times, I would just bump into him. And the place I'd bump him the most was at the Versace store in um, Caesar's Palace at the um, in Las Vegas. And whenever you'd go there, there, you'd see a crowd and the doors would be closed. Mike Thomas would be in there shopping, so it'd just be closed for himself. And he'd always let me in there. And we, 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 we formed a really, really beautiful friendship. And then um, I was um, blessed enough to, to train him. Mm. I got the opportunity to... To work his corner, which was amazing. But let me say, well before then, when I, I always knew the qualities of Mike Tyson. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he just, I just knew that his loyalty and was special if he was one of his and friends. Yes, you, you had you got to know him so much better than the rest of the world did because I guess the media and his promoters wanted people to think they wanted to be scared of him because it was, you know, yeah. such a well. And he wanted them to be thing. scared of him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, like I lived with him. I travelled the world with him. You know, um, I got in a plane with him one day and um, we were in first class and I. Falling asleep before the plane took off, I woke up. I'm sitting next to an old lady, and thinking, "Am I dreaming?" Mike literally sitting his seat, went down the back, you know. Wow, that's and, I, and I've seen him give money to people. I've seen him, like, and like I said, um, I've seen him at his crankiest. I've seen him, you know, tear places apart and all that kind of stuff. And and me, you know, hold him and risk if he hits me getting killed, whatever it might be. But um, I always thought that risk was worth it because I, I knew. Um, for me, friendship and loyalty is more important than anything else. My dad taught me one thing. He said, if you go out with your friend, you go home with your friend. And um, wherever I was in any situation, if Mike got in trouble, I was getting in trouble with him. And if Mike got in trouble and I could take the blame, I'd, I'd do that. I was in positions a couple of times where we were in a, you know, a sticky situation and I said to the people, it was me and um, blessed that nothing happened to me or Mike. But um, would I do it again? I'd do it a million times over because um, yeah, that's what you do for your friends, especially because of the, you know, the what would have happened to Mike if he got in trouble yeah. back then. Like, you know, um, so no, I'm, you know, I was very, very blessed to have this really, really special friendship with him. I still have it today. Mm. I don't see him as much or talk to him as much as I'd like to, although I tried to ring him this morning because mm. I've got um, yeah, something that I want to talk to him about. But um, yeah, we we still have amazing respect for each other. And like I said, I was, I was able to train him and, um, you know, train him for a couple of fights. Yeah. And I, did you train him when he got out of prison in 95? Yeah, Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, tra I trained him for the Cliff Arithium fight. Yeah. And, um, the craziest thing was just a couple of days prior to the fight, he doesn't come to the gym one day and um, so I'm back at the house waiting for him because that's where I was staying, you know. And as I see him come, I rush out to ask him, where have you been, why are you not there? And all of a sudden I see this massive tattoo on his face. I'm thinking, shit, and I see it was all shiny and stuff yeah. with all Vaseline. I'm thinking, Mike, we're fighting in three or four days. You can't fight. He, he, he was really down. Right. And, he didn't, 
And I think my, and I, my, I've never had tattoos, but my um, belief that you're not allowed to get punched if the tattoo is on mm. your face. So, so I thought, you know, and this maybe was one of the worst things I've done because I regret it today. I said, Mike, how are you going to fight? He goes, no, Jeff, I don't even really want to fight. So Mike, I'm going to go home. I've been away from my family for nine weeks. So mm. that night I go from Mike's house to a hotel, from the hotel to the airport the next day, and I fly home. As I fly home, I see Mike on on the, on the wains with scales and I'm getting ready for the fight. I'm thinking, he wasn't going to fight. Well, that's what mm. he told me. And I, you know, well, apparently um, Showtime rang him and said that if you don't fight, they were going to sue him. So wow. he said, I'm going to fight him. Yeah. He goes out and he knocks out Cliff. I did it down in one round. Yeah. Knocks him out cold. Freddie Roach was the trainer. No disrespect to Freddie, but Freddie yeah. got the credit for the for the fight. I've been training for nine weeks and um, I was at home. So yeah. that was the, that, the first time that I trained him for a fight. And then um, I trained him happily for his last fight when I threw the towel in when he was getting when he was getting hurt not, and yeah. not just hurt he was getting beat up because he didn't want to be there yeah. you know um, his preparation early was great towards the end he um, told me he was going to, to a pigeon race for a couple of days which I gave him permission to because he trained really well he told me it was only two days I didn't see him for a week and a half and I knew obviously yeah. his training was going to be um, all mixed up then but I stayed there not not for money or not for any of that just to make sure that I looked after Mike in the fight and I did mm. I threw the towel in and done the right thing I looked after my friend mm. And just going back to your own career, so you became world champion mid-80s. A lot of money came your way. Were you irresponsible with that money, do you think? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I was more irresponsible um, because I I brought all my friends things. Yeah. Or the people who I thought were my friends, cars and so-and-so. But, um, yeah, and that, that's what you do. Like, you, you think it's never going to stop. And yeah. I'll give you this example. When I, I'll never forget, I got 20000 for the first time I fought for the world title. And I said to one of my best friends back at the time, who I thought was my friend as well, won't mention names, but um, I said, if I get another $20,000, I'm going to retire. I'm going to have $40,000. <laughs> this was in 85. And I'm thinking, shit, you know. You know, 20 went to 80, 80 went to 100, to 100, to 100, to 100, to 100. I don't know how many times I got 100. But, um, yeah, like I said, and when I think back today, um, I only wish that I had a manager mm. who looked after me properly because um, while I was making 100, I know the promoters are making – yeah, ten times more than me, and I would have loved to be. So you're pretty position. naive back, back. Oh yeah, yeah well, yeah. not just naive. I, did, I didn't know nothing about money. I'd never, yeah. you know, like I went, you know, I, I knew how to be a paper boy and you know, do it, but I never knew that you sit down and you, you calculate how many people are going to go to the fight, how many people are going to buy mm. pay per view on Sky Channel, and how how much sponsorship, and then, and then we, we can we can talk about dollars and cents. No, and I'll never forget. I said to Johnny Lewis, Johnny, I've got a hundred thousand dollars now for you know all. This you know for like all these fights, when am I going to get more? He said, Jeff, nobody else in Australia got a hundred thousand mm. dollars for fights. So I thought, well, well, he knows. Mm. But what I didn't realize is, um, you know, when if you calculate yeah. just one thing, like in nineteen eighty six, I outgrossed Bruce Springsteen at the at the at, at the box office for the the highest ever taken entertainment center. Wow. So what I'm saying is, so that was over a million dollars. If I was getting a hundred thousand, that's that's without yeah. sponsorship, that's without yeah. TV around. So I'm. Um, Look, all I can say is, um, look, um, would I, again, would I change it? No, I wouldn't. I mean, of course I would, but I can't. But I, I, obviously I learned lots of things um, as I'm growing up and I just wish that I had a, a manager who, who looked after me properly. And it, people say that Kerry Packer had a lot of influence on you in business. Is that right? Yeah, um, I was blessed. Um, apart from training Mike Tyson, I trained Kerry Packer and I travelled the world with Kerry. And I'm still best friends with James today. James is um, one of my closest friends. I'm going um, to America to visit him in June and... Um, but, uh, yeah, Kerry, Kerry gave me the opportunity a couple of times um, to help me, but I, I, I wish I 
took his advice. But I didn't want to be one of those people that everybody said, oh, Kerry Packer looked after you or somebody or James Packer looked after you. But they got IMG to manage me mm-hmm. for that one of my fights. international management Yeah, group. yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and um, Warney's manager at the time, he was managing me. And um, all of a sudden from one fight from getting 100, I got 350 and um, yeah. the in-house fighting between Bill and everybody else was so crazy that I burst out crying in the in the dressing room after the fight and went and announced my retirement. I said, I'm retiring because my hands are broken, but it was nothing to do with my hands. It was because of, I'm thinking, here's this man, Bill Morty, who gave me this opportunity and now he's telling me that these people from IMG are robbing him and all this kind of stuff. was It was it was so complicated for me being this little kid. Again, that never had nothing. Yeah. And um, I'm finally managed by a professional group and they're finally getting me and I sacked them. Yeah. Because I really so you sacked IMG. Yeah, because wow. I I, um, I let them do one fight because I I wanted to, um, I thought that they were doing the wrong thing by Bill and right. you know, and you know although I tripled my money I still thought yeah yeah Bill was hurting because he was in there swearing about him you know going crazy telling me that you know this and that I'm fighting with him I'm not going to be able to do this anymore I'm you know you know broke broke break even Bill was going broke it was going to be mm. broke even Bill but again um. Like I said, um, would I change my promoter? No, I love I love Bill dearly. I'll always love him. I'll never forget what he done for me. I'll never forget the opportunities that he gave me. So um, yeah, everything happens for a reason. I'm I'm great today. I'm I'm happy. I'm healthy. I got a, like I said, I got a great family. I got great friends. I'm still able to see people and and, and do what I want to do. So um, yeah, like I said, um, everything happens for a reason. You speak very passionately about your marriage with your wife, Susie. Here in your podcast, you speak really passionately about it. Call your best friends. I've been married for five or six years now. Going great. Like all marriages have the ups and downs, but it's all going along really well. You speak about Susie as your best friend, even after twenty-seven years of marriage. What advice could you give to me on on how you continue to be? Well, let me successful let me, in marriage. So let me say one thing. When I got married, James Packer and all the boys had um, Ginjo and the boys had a an, an odds board. Three, six to nine months was how how how, how long, long will, will Jeff and Susie last? Yeah, would I yeah, or would I last? Anyway, um, it's now twenty seven years. Yeah, and um, yeah, is, is there a secret to it? Yeah, of, of course. There's a you know like um you know um, and I used to all, all I had a famous saying to a lot of people when somebody would tell me their wife or they had a girl as a best friend. I said, nah, something's wrong with you. I, the only best friend you can have is a male. Yeah. But um, I slowly learned when I lost and when I got into trouble a couple of times, I learned who my real friends were. And, and the only person that ever stuck with me through rain, hail, shine, thick or thin, whether I had money or I didn't, was my wife Susie. Mm. So um, uh, I, I can never replace her. I'll never replace her. She's irreplaceable. And um, as a mother, as a, as a wife, as a friend, and now everybody that I know like that meets my wife mm, – Compliment her about, you know, oh, we thought you'd be stuck up. We thought you, you know, like she'll cook, clean, do whatever it needs mm-hmm. be for anybody and everybody. And, um, yeah, I just, um, again, um, am I, would I like to have thought that from day one? No, because things happen for a reason. My, my love and my respect grows more and more for every day. Even mm. you know, to, to this day, you know, I am, uh, yeah, I, it, it, it keeps growing because I, I just realised that I'm not the easiest guy to get along with. I'm not the easiest guy to, to put up with. 
I've got these things that I, that I live by and, um, and she just shuffles them into her life and makes sure my kids um, are okay and they shuffle them into their life as well. And, you know, even though they get mad at me, um, they always forgive me. So I am um, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very blessed. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm even more blessed that just recently I re-ignited um, my, my love and association with Johnny Lewis because we never yep. spoke for a long, long time, mm. which, which killed me, mm. which killed me, um, which most probably gave me more stress than I've ever had in my life. But, um, you know, I'm talking to Johnny and… and uh, Without going into too much detail, did you fall out over a, a, a boxing business deal or something like that? Or no, was no, it no. We, than that? Well, it was, it was much deeper than that. It was… I fell out with Johnny because Johnny made me the human being I am today. Johnny gave me all those morals and those goals that I told you and, and made me this person I am today. But I, I, I thought that he betrayed me on all of them. Mm. You know, like when, uh, when there was time to… For him to live by the, the morals that he taught me, because I always I'll, I'll never not live by him. He let me down on him, so I, you know, I am um, I was devastated, mm. you know. Um, but like I said, as devastated as I was, um, I wouldn't be sitting on this chair if it wasn't mm. for Johnny, you know. Mm. Because uh, you'd be dead because you would the streets yeah, would have got well, you. Yeah, well, either dead or in jail, or um, if not that, um, I, I definitely um, wouldn't have been the person I'm today. He. Um, yeah, he, he he gave me all those little tools and his little beliefs, and uh, he he told me so many things about life and taught me so many things that um like I said that made me the person I'm today. And then I thought, and I still tell him this day, although I love him and, and talk to him, that that he betrayed me on on, on a lot of those um beliefs that he, that he, that he, he he set in stone in, in Jeff Fennick. Mm. But um I've got to forgive him. He's you know he's uh, seventy nine now. He's um. Not in the in the in the greatest of health, and I, I'd hate to think that um, I'm not going to be there for the, for the rest of his life. And the, the craziest mm. thing was, he did tell me, and I'm, I'm real, so proud to say this that after we we start talking again, he said to me, "Son, he said, you know what? If I pass away tomorrow, at least I'm going to pass away a happy man now. You know, wonderful. Which you know meant so much to me, which is how I feel about him anyway. But uh, yeah. but like I said, um, I'm just a guy who. I call a spade a spade. If it's black, it's black. If it's white, it's white. I'm not gonna. Um, I'm not gonna sugarcoat enough. Like I said, if I walk out of here now with you, somebody does something. You, yeah, you're, you're my brother at the moment. They, yeah. They're gonna do it to me. I don't care if it means I go to jail. If it means I'm gonna get in trouble, I'm gonna be on the front page of paper for doing something. I believe I've done the right thing because I looked after yeah. my friend, and that's that's just who I am. Yeah. On Johnny Lewis, there's a beautiful photo of you guys in the National Portrait Gallery. Do you know the one I'm talking about? When you were just coming on the scene, you're as yeah. fit as anything. Yeah. I'll put it up in the podcast, yeah. but it's a yeah, magic I know, photo. I, I was looking at it last night. Yeah. Um, do you still love rugby league? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. if I could give all my belts back to play first grade and what about what about you? Okay, you're not a world champion, but you've played um, you've played for the Blues and won a State of Origin series. Would you swap that? Uh, I'd give all my belts to, to just to, to play ra- ra- oh. one one first grade rugby league. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd love. Wow, that's look, that's what I've wanted to be. I want, you know, I, and who who was well, your, who's I, your well, team? Well, I was Newdown. And then when yep. Newdown got put out, I was I was Parramatta, and I, yep. I used to love Ray Higgs, yep. Ray Price, Johnny. Oh, like, oh, like, I can name every Parramatta. So when you so were at the top of your game, Parra, they're top of their yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, Parramatta at the top. Incredible. Yeah, so I loved Parramatta, yeah. like you know, and Sterlow was my favourite. You know, but uh, like I said, I loved Ray Price, loved the guys who tackled because I was this little skinny guy who just done lots of tackles. That's how I made all my footy teams because I was I did lots of tackles every game, and uh, I had a great coach by the name of Ralph Speechley, whose son Mark Speechley was an, an unbelievable. First grade football player who played for Cronulla and South, mm. and uh, yeah, one of the best tacklers ever. So I, I grew up in a 
play rugby league every day. Straight, as soon as school finished, at the park, played played football every single day. Mm. And do you watch games, many games each week? Yeah, yeah, I watch, I watch what, yeah. nearly all of them. You know. yeah, I great. love just sitting in my lounge and yeah. being able to watch everything at home. You're a I huge, big television. Yeah, yeah, I don't go to games. I'll get invited to games, but I'd rather just sit at home, relax. I'm not going to get driven crazy anywhere. I just want to be, be myself and be at home, yeah. So I love, I love rugby league. Can you name a couple of players that get you excited at the moment to watch? Wow. Well... Trell Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, when he when he's hot, mate, there's there's nobody better. I mean, you know, and Mitchell Moses. I mean, Dylan Brown for five, the five. Of, look, I still I'm, I love Parramatta, but um, yeah, some some of the the players today are, yeah. I mean, and look, um, the game's different today. I mean, I mean, these guys play for 25, 30 minutes and have a rest. I mean, what mm. if my coach would have taken me off after? I would kill my coach. I would want to die. I would want to play. You know, the, the full game. I'd never. Couldn't dream of you know going off to have a rest to come back on because I believe that I prepared to play 80 minutes every game. You know, play five, 15, three minute rounds was no problem for me. So the game's changed, definitely changed. But I mean, it's fast, it's um, it's exciting. But um, but the, and, and now with with the concussion rule and stuff, um, it's 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 really hard. And with some of the rules, I mean, like some days I sit down and think you see something happen in one game, and it's, it's total total opposite in another game. So. Mm. Game drives you mad a little bit, but um, mm. I mean, we just got to get used to that. Um, today, in, in in all sports, it's 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 caring for our our our, our athletes, mm. the people who are playing the sport. We, we've got, and um, we're in the old days, a coach would have thrown me on with concussion three times, yeah, because yeah. If, if you're an important part of the team, you're back yeah. on there. Now, you know, now we're having eleven or twelve days off, or or, or a month off. So, um, yeah, we um, it's. The world's changed. The, the the everything's changed because we're now thinking about, and we're looking at, at what what what's happened to people twenty years ago and thirty mm. years ago from concussions. Look at Mario Fennick, my, my dearest friend. Um, mm. I take him to a restaurant. Um, it's like I'm taking a, a young child with me. I'm my right. his wife Rebecca. I I love her. I think what a strong lady she is to be able to do what she has to do with Mario. Mario, yeah, is. Yeah, if you see somebody bored, they'll just go and rub their head and say, "Hey, Sterling, you got a head like an underarm deodorant." <laughs> he, yeah, he doesn't. He'll he'll make noises and say funny things while he's you know in restaurants. It's 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 sad that this has happened. And, and listen, there, there is a reason behind yeah. it, and um, we're trying to find it and we're trying to cure it and trying to make it better. But, um, but surely it's a huge issue in boxing as well, right? Oh, well, like I said, um, you know, I look at some of the fighters today and. Um, that didn't make, and this and this is my my biggest concern is this. Mario Fennick, I love him, and everybody's going to help him. Everybody knows who Mario was, so he's always going to get a hand out, and somebody's going to do something for him. But what about the guys that yeah. never made grade that are out there yeah. with their families who have got no money and are in worse condition than Mario Fennick and Jeff Fennick and everybody else? We, I want to try to help them. I want to try yeah. to do something. Where we we help everybody, not just help people who who are known. Like you know, if Mario Fennick. Every, every football player gets together. We do something. Roy Simmons, they do those walks. They, they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for the charities that he wants to do. I mean, that's all great. But And, and, the, and the great thing that Royce is doing, he's trying to help people that nobody know about. That nobody. Mm. So, and that's what I want. That's what I want. I want people to put their hand up to help. Yeah. The, well, I want people to put their hand up in families that their, their, their brothers or fathers have played rugby league that are going through what Mario is going through so we can try to help them as well. Mm. Yeah, I, that's, that's who I want to help. I want to help people who nobody knows about, you know. Yeah. And not I don't want no and I don't need nobody to know that I'm doing it. I just want to help them yeah. because they need, I know they need help. But when I look at Mario, I think how blessed he's because I know so many people have put their hand out to help Mario. 
like I said, then I think, wow, what about these guys that didn't even make grade or that play, played grade and nobody knows about? They're, they're hidden. They're going through this secret hill on their own. So they're the people I want to help as well. And do you suffer from any kind of head issues yourself? I don't suffer from head issues, but I, I do have a really bad memory. I am yeah. like for me, I've got to write things down. Yeah. So I write them down. So I. I this morning before I came here, yeah. I wrote down that you know I had to speak to my great friend Adam Sparrow, and I yeah. said no, I'll ring. He was going to ring me at yeah. nine, but I rang him early, so I could try to get early. I do those kind of things yeah. to make sure that I'm on the ball. So every time I walk in out of the house, I'll have a look at it to make sure because there are times where Did you put that down to all the all the knocks you've taken. I'm sure. I'm sure that um, it has Wait, something to part. do with. It. Yeah. I'm sure, but like I said, as as you get older, we all forget things. But I'm saying, but I am. Um, there, there are times where. I'll talk to somebody and I'll say, I'll see you in half an hour. And then all of a sudden I'm in the car driving again. Wow, sorry, I've got yeah. to drive back home. But like I said, um, I'm lucky. I'm I'm blessed. I've, like I said, I've got a great wife, great family. And and I'm, I'm still very, very blessed. And I've, I've kept my money. I, yeah. I can, you know, if I need help, I can get, do what I need to do. But uh, like I said, um, I look at my life these days and I think that the greatest thing that anybody can do in their life is be around good people. If you're around good people, I don't care. You're going to do good things. If you're around bad people, if I tell my, my children every day, and you know, um, I'm not stupid. I, I know what happens out in the world. They can't fool me. You know, you know. Although my daughter's very similar to me, my daughter Kayla, she's smart as I was, but um, and she's very streetwise. They can't fool me because I, I know what happens out. I tell people every day. I said, when your, your your children come home and say, listen, I'm going down to Jeff Phoenix house today. Go down there and just check it for them. I'll bet you 90 percent of the time they're not there. You know, yeah. so you got to check on them and 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 find out who the these people they're, they're mixing with. Find out what kind of people they are. Mm. I'm blessed. I, I spend a lot of time with Mark Boros and some of my friends, Anthony Louise, the big business people, Joe Molinari, and the thing that I've learned by being around these these people is, you know, we go to dinner, we go home together, we have a good time. There's never there's never a, been an opportunity where. I'm in a position where I feel violated or I'm going to get cranky because back in the old days when I used to go out, somebody would say something, if I was in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people, I'm going to, I'm going to fire up and still mm. tell Like I said, if I walk down the street and somebody gives me a mouth, I'm going to straight back to them. I think, mm. you know, it's, it's an eye for an eye for me. I'm, that's that's the only that's the, the greatest thing the Bible ever wrote was an eye for an eye that's, and that's me, you know. Any other any other rule, I, I don't really care about them. But like I said, if somebody's good enough to say something to me, they're going to – Get it back in return. Why? Jeff Fennick shouldn't... Yeah, well, you shouldn't say to Jeff Fennick and Jeff Fennick wouldn't say it back to you. Yeah. Easy as that, you know? Yeah. If you're good enough to give it, just be ready to get it back and yeah. you're gonna, I'm going to give you more than you thought you gave me. But uh, like I said, but uh, on top of that, like I said, I'm just... Um, I'm really, really blessed. I, I met some beautiful people at the right time and all those things, like I said, that I regret. Yeah, like you can't change them. So for me, it's a life lesson and it's made me the person I'm today. I'm really resilient. I know what... I, I, what to expect in every in every, everywhere I go, I, I know if I'm going to a certain place, I know what to expect because I've done it all my life. I know if I'm going somewhere with good people, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go, I'm going to have a couple of drinks, I'm going to, I'm going to be home. If I'm going to go somewhere where it's going to be loud, I know what's going to happen. So I, I avoid that now. I don't, I don't go to those places. And is Sydney always going to be home for you? Um, to be honest, um, if it wasn't for my wife, I would have either moved to. Um, America or yeah. to Bangkok. I love. Yeah. I love. I go to Thailand four or five times a year now. I got a trip to Thailand in August. I got a trip to Thailand in November. I got a trip to Thailand in December. Uh, you know, I've got America in June. And um, yeah, I love the travel. I love just enjoying my life. And I love Bangkok because I can 
although a lot of people know me there because I've, I've fought some RPAC and it's yeah. he's the most I, – I can just be myself there. Yeah, I don't no need to – yeah, yeah, I can just go and have a drink with whoever I want to. I can just relax. I can – yeah, if I, if I get drunk and walk, nobody's going to say, oh, I've seen Jeff Finney getting drunk yeah. or if I tell somebody to get stuff, nobody's going to – I'm not going to get in trouble for it. And, um, yeah, so I'm, look, I'm, as much as I, I love Australia, I just think that everything's changed. It's, um, mm. The world's not the same anymore. I mean, I mean, a couple of years ago, we weren't allowed out of the house because there was this disease called COVID. Mm. What the fuck? It's still here now. We're allowed out of the house. Mm. Why are we allowed out now? We weren't allowed out three years ago. Mm. What's changed if it's, if it's, if it's still here? Mm. You know, I mean, um, hear these people saying that, we have to get in. We have to get injected. Telling you what you have to do to your body. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I've never heard of that. I've ne- I, 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 when I was born into the world, I, I'd never. They weren't a part of the, the, the rules and laws, you know. So, um, you know, I just think I feel sorry for people. I, I don't care what anybody says. You can call me an idiot. You can call me docile. People are dying still from that from from getting those injections today. Yeah. People are dying. All these people around the world that are dying so. I've never heard of so many people in their, in their 40s and 50s that that have got no problems just dying. Yeah. You know, they're dying because of this stupid thing that everybody got injected with. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it should be the person's own decision really, isn't it? If they yeah, want to take course, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, one, yeah. One million percent, yeah. You, yeah. You, you, I mean, we were forced. The, the, yeah. the world were forced into doing something. But like I said, I mean, they forced into doing something. They kept us... They kept us in our houses and mm. they're saying this thing's still around and then well, we're, yeah. we're all of a sudden allowed out. Yeah. And what um, – we had to put our well, – people who had little children put them through that weren't allowed out of their house. And they, it, yeah, it was a difficult time. Yeah, it's more yeah. Than, it was more than difficult. It, it, it's unheard of. It's just yeah. – I don't know. I don't know. Again, but um, yeah, as much as I love Australia, I, I, I do look forward to every, – every time I get on a plane and travel, I love it. But every yeah. time I get home, I, I love it just as much because because I, I obviously gonna see my children. And if my wife hasn't been with me, I've, I've missed my wife. So um, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a balance for me. But um, won't be long where I, I'm gonna try to get a group of my friends to go and buy a couple properties or do something where we all live overseas together, where we can all see each other every morning, have a coffee, train yeah. together, go for a walk, and enjoy ourselves, go for a swim. So I'm very much forward looking to that. So what was my life dream was always to do that with Johnny Lewis and my friends was to buy a huge block of land somewhere in, in Sydney and we all build houses and we all live together so we can spend time together. That never happened, but I, I'm hope, hopefully it'll happen um, in a couple of years' time with, with some of my beautiful new friends that I have today. And so you're moving towards taking life a bit easier and and and, and not yeah. being so business minded and focused on bringing the money in to keep, keep yeah. pushing everybody around you forward. Yeah, no, definitely so. Like I said. Um, my life, look, I love, like, I love what I do for Fox. I love, I love doing the commentary because I just think that I add something to it. I think that I, obviously, I know about the fight game, and um, you know, I, mm. I, you know, I get a lot of compliments when people listen to me talk. So I, I love that. But um, if it wasn't, yeah, if 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 I didn't have a job at Fox and um, a couple of fighters, I would definitely be living overseas and yeah. just coming back home to see my family whenever I could. Because, like I said, um, yeah, I, I just love the. I love to relax. I just I just love to be with people like I'm doing with you now. I love sitting down beside somebody and being able to talk and share my experiences and, yeah, and hopefully make people get better and help people. Mm. And you're still fit? You're still training every morning? Yeah, I train most days twice a day. I'm wow. doing it a little bit different now. I'm, you know, I'm just hoping this um, this pig valve in there can put up with what I put in through every day because I, you know, I, still, I still ride the bike 20K every morning and then I'll – 
do my weight session and then I'll do another session in the afternoon. Boxing day, you doing bag well, and rounds. Well, I don't do any of that, but I am. I will be. I'm going to start. So you, don't, you never put gloves on anymore. No, or the other time I put the gloves on is just holding the pads enough for the boys. But um, yeah. I've just ordered a machine from the, the beautiful people at Everlast, and um, yeah. they get they got this new machine where you just stand it up and you sit up, and it's got all um, partitions where you punch. Right. And I'm going to start to do it again because I, I, you know, I love that kind of fitness. So I'm going to um, do less cardio and do a little bit more. Of, some boxing and weights at the moment. I want to, um, yeah, change uh, my body shape a little bit because uh, as you get older, you you get that little looseness. I want to try to uh, tighten myself up again. And my great friend that lives in um, Phuket now, Johnny Stephenson, the Olympic runner, mm -hmm. um, he's been putting me on a little bit of a special um, training program. So I've been doing what he's told me. It's helped me lots. I feel the difference, and the boys can see the difference. And so yeah, I'm I'm excited about you know life. I'm going to be 59 um, this month and the, the crazy thing was when I was talking to Adam Tay on the way here and we're talking about when I was like in, in my teens and I'd see somebody 40, 50, wow, how old is that, you know? Oh, I, I, you know, do I want to live to 60, you know? that you know, Now I'm 59, I still can do just about everything I'd done yeah. when I was you know, 20. So um, life's great and I just want people to know um, yeah. Stay healthy, be fit. You know, we are what we eat. You know, when people always tell me, how do you lose weight? How do you – we are what we eat. Don't worry, you can train every day. But if you eat like a, a cow, you're going to mm. end up being a cow, you know. So we are what we eat as long as you eat properly and you, you get you – know, and if you eat properly and you're doing those kind of things, healthy head, healthy healthy body, healthy mind, healthy mind, healthy body, like, you know, they just mix up together. So it's it's all good. Uh, so I'm, I try to do as much as I can every day. Yeah, beautiful. I think it's a good good place to finish. So um – you want to tell, tell everyone out there your famous line that I love you all? And yeah, well, I'm tell before I tell my famous line, people of Australia know one thing as much as I just said that I'd love to, to live overseas. I will never forget that um, the people who watched me throughout my boxing career, without the people who watched me, um, I would have nothing. Yeah, and so I will never ever turn my back on a, a fan or, or an enemy, or if anybody wants me to sign something or help me in any way, shape, or form. Um, I will always be there because um, without the Australian public, I wouldn't be sitting here today. And without doubt, I love you all.